What is it about purity, innocence, and goodness that makes fairy tales so fascinating? Or maybe it's the loss of these things that entice readers to be able to have a front row seat to witness the fall of childhood, the awakening of something more, something darker within. What if it's not their moral that grips us, but their villain? What if the layers were peeled back and the sweet, pure characters revealed their skeletons? After all, no one is who they seem. Fairy tales have a unique way of sharing truths about the world we live in and the people we share it with. They reveal the twisted and honor the noble. They explore real evil, yet teach us how to overcome it, or better yet, avoid it altogether. Children flock to these often violent stories because they search the familiar, uncover the gruesome, and encourage the honorable. To quote Neil Gaiman, Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Most of us were introduced to the magic of fairy tales by Disney movies. The very first full-length animated fairy tale ever made was Snow White in 1934. It took three years to complete and changed the story of fairy tales in modern culture. But allow me to twist things a bit further. The topic of our story today isn't the Snow White we grew up with. It's a different Snow White, and her sister, Rose Red. Despite their tale not being as widely known, it is perhaps the most relevant story the Grimm's ever told. To introduce us to the main characters, here's a poem by Fran Lindsay. My sister glows out at me, white blush of mirrors in her mouth, glass fruit on my table, ripe roses on hers, books, I read fables, until she is the myth and I am the moral, suffering, ugly, and good. I rest then while she reads aloud of her happiness. I have one place mark for my autobiography. If we were twins, we were different confessions to the same lie. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. A thick black ribbon hung from her snow-white wrist, an elegant tight bow on top. Her golden hair hung down her back like a ray of sunshine with eyes the color of a full moon. I had wanted to be like Adara my whole life, I thought, 
as I tugged a tangle from my curly red locks and tried to tuck it behind my ears neatly. It's been a strange day, I said, slouching and sighing. I've given up on it. Adira snickered and side-glanced me. What do you mean? I mean, I said, shifting on the stool, that this day has been odd, don't you think? Adira folded the last piece of laundry and placed it carefully on the tower of the other folded pieces in the wicker basket. It's been a day. Now what does that even mean? She shrugged her narrow shoulders up once and then let them fall, her eyes moving to the planked floors. I simply mean that it's been a benign day, not good or bad, just plain. Plain? It's been more than pl- The kettle on the stove whistled a high-pitched tune that sent a quiver down my spine. Adara got up to tend to it, raising it from the wood cook stove, then nearly closing the damper. She grabbed a knitted potholder and sat it in the kettle on the small wooden table in front of the window. Unlatching the panes, she opened the two panels, allowing a breeze to blow inside. The sun had fallen behind the trees. Night was coming fast. I love this time of day, she said and poured us the tea. The earth becomes quiet and people are cozied up in their homes, waiting to meet their dreams. I glanced out, considering her words. They sounded lovely, but they didn't move me. I hate this time of day. My strong use of language jolted her, and her icy blue eyes bore into me. I much prefer the daytime, especially the summer, when we're able to gather berries and spend the nights in the forest, lying amongst the wild flowers. Adira sipped her tea carefully. I, feeling suddenly uneasy with my lack of dainty manners, mimicked her and took a drink. Too fast, apparently, because the warm liquid splashed on my lips. She watched as I quickly wiped it away with the back of my hand. Rory. You needn't be afraid of the winter or the night. Her words were as cold as her eyes as they fell on me. A shiver tickled up my back, causing me to sit up straight and caress my arms for warmth. Adira was never cold, but I had always been sensitive to cooler temperatures. The lace curtain danced in the breeze like a woman, wild, her dress flowing from this world to the next ghostly. Do you think it's possible that the world's cycles could be stopped? Do you mean time? She asked as her fingers began to pleat the cloth napkin beside her cup and saucer. Yes. Well, no. But why would you want it to? She asked. To prevent death to stop our lives from changing until we're ready. Ready for what? She asked, her voice just above a whisper. Just 
to become more prepared, I suppose. My green eyes locked on her blue ones. Despite our sea of differences, she was my closest person. And I didn't want anything to change. Life was good. It was beautiful in the here and now. She reached to me, her hand landing softly on top of mine. The black ribbon tickled my wrist. My dear Rory, nothing will ever separate us. But something is coming. I leaned in and whispered. As I said it, my stomach tightened. Fear wiggled in my belly like a worm, growing, growing. Just as I spoke the words, a wolf howled in the distance. Adara's eyes widened and she closed the window, securing it tight. Nothing is coming. We're safe as long as we're together. She feigned a smile, but I knew she felt it too. There was a storm hovering dangerously close to our cottage, to our lives, threatening to steal something that cannot be replicated. Come, sister, let's move to the den. The temperatures are dropping. I'll build us a fire. The night went on as slow nights do. Time ticked by as I worked on making a wreath out of the last of the summer's flowers, and Adara read from one of her books. Mama sat in her rocking chair, creaking the seconds away with every bob. Wolf howls continued, and the eerie darkness seemed to have seeped inside, joining us like a silent ghost in the corner, watching us, warning us. Becoming too lost in my mind's wanderings, I accidentally stabbed myself with the needle I'd been using to sew flowers to the wound twigs. A small pool of blood bubbled on my skin's surface. I brought it to my lips and sucked. Someone knocked on the door. My nerves already rattled. I jumped up. Adara calmly tucked her golden hair behind an ear and walked toward the door. Mama stayed seated, but the rocker, and what felt like time, had stopped. For a brief moment, Adara and I caught a glance of ourselves in the mirror beside the door. Opposites in every way, her blonde hair and blue eyes and my red hair and green eyes, me with my freckles and wild curls, and she the epitome of beauty and grace. Adara turned the knob and pulled the heavy wooden door open. What we saw took our breaths away. It wasn't a person who stood on the other side, but a bear. Snow White and Rose Red was added to the Grimm's collection in 1837. In the tale, Snow White and Rose Red, the two girls live deep in the forest with their widowed mother. Snow White is a fair-haired, fair-skinned, quiet, domestic type. She is shy and spends a lot of time indoors doing housework, reading, and helping her mother. But Rose Red is completely opposite. She is outspoken, extroverted, and prefers to spend time outside. But despite their differences... The two of them are close friends. 
On a cold winter night, as the three women were in their cottage, a knock comes to the door. The girls open it and see a bear. Of course the women are terrified at first, but the bear tells them not to be afraid, and that he only wants to get warm. So being the kind ladies they are, they decide to trust the bear and allow him in. He lies down in front of the fire and warms himself, and this continues night after night. Soon the girls befriend the bear, and the three play with each other and spend lots of time together during the winter season. But when spring arrives, the bear tells them that he has to go and guard his treasure from a wicked dwarf. The girls are sad, but they also understand why the bear must leave. On another day, while they are walking through the woods, the girls come across a dwarf whose beard is stuck in a tree. To free him, Snow White must cut his beard free. But the dwarf does not like this and curses them for cutting his beautiful beard. Over time, the girls encounter the dwarf again and again and even once more. Every time they have to rescue him and every time the dwarf curses them for their help. On the last time that the dwarf and the girls meet, the bear whom the girls had befriended the winter before is about to kill the ungrateful dwarf. The dwarf tries to convince the bear to eat the girls instead of killing him, but the bear will have none of that. The bear ends up killing the dwarf with one blow of his paw, and then the bear's skin begins to fall, revealing a handsome prince. The prince explains to the girls that the dwarf had bewitched him to steal his precious treasure, but now that the dwarf is dead, the curse is broken. All the while, the prince had fallen in love with Snow White, and the two of them marry, while Rose Red marries the prince's brother. The family goes on to live together along with their mother, who keeps two roses, one red and one white, planted in front of her window. The story was adapted from Caroline Stahl's tale, The Ungrateful Dwarf, first printed in 1816. The key difference between the two is that the Grimm's added the romantic element between Snow White and the bear. They also elaborated on the sisters and aged them up. Stahl's stories tended to focus more on morals and messages, while the Grimm's often included a romantic element to their tales. In Stahl's version, the girls keep the dwarf's treasure after the bear kills him, which helps pull their family from poverty. There are certain key points throughout the story that are worth mentioning, which Grimm expert Maria Tater mentions in the Bicentennial Annotated Edition of the Tales. In the beginning, the Grimm's paint an idyllic picture of family life at the girls' home. The house is spotless, and there are references to a lamb and dove at the hearth, a lamb symbolizing Christ and a dove symbolizing love and peace. But what this picture-perfect family is missing is a father. Not too far into the story, there's a bit of foreshadowing that is unmistakable. While the girls are playing with the bear, rather roughly, he says, Snow white and rose red, you'll beat your suitor till he's dead. This makes one wonder if, at least at the time, the bear didn't know which one he preferred best. It also begs the question, 
Was he really there to just be warmed by the fire? Or had he spied the girls in the forest, and curious to know more, pursued them, hunted them, even? Much like the dwarfs in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the men are at odds with nature and are fighting against it, rather than having a mutually harmonious relationship with it, like the females in the story. Tater mentions that the dwarfs are similar to the trolls in Scandinavian folklore, which are described as non-Christian, living far away from humans and are dangerous. Despite the dwarf being ungrateful and cursing the girls every time they saved him, the girls seem unfazed by his anger. They both exhibit great kindness and gentleness toward him, serving him even when he doesn't deserve it. The Grimm's strong message of goodness toward one's neighbor is reflected in their Christian belief and expressed in Mark 12, 30-31. But what makes this tale different than the other Grimm stories? This story has always been one of my favorites, but I never knew until delving into the research that it is argued as a Grimm original. The brothers were historians, hoping to capture their cultural lore before all remnants of their Germanic roots were absorbed by the French. At the time of collection, Germany was under French rule, and the brothers sharing a nationalistic need to preserve their culture set out to gather stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. Though Snow White and Rose Red is heavily adapted from The Ungrateful Dwarf, the tone, symbolism, and ending are so different that the brothers, namely William, created their own original tale. Having never realized this before, it only adds to my love for the story, knowing that this one is especially grim. Jack Sipes, a folklorist, believes the story was biographical. You see, the brothers Grimm lived alone in a forest with their mother, much like the sisters in the story. They also had a wonderful relationship with one another, had a deep respect and a friendship, just as the sisters did in the story. Jack Zipes says, quote, The girls not unlike the brothers Grimm, or like night and day, but are inseparable and supportive of one another. Could this be why the girls are friendly even though they're opposite, which is very different from most sibling relationships in the fairy tales? He goes on to say, The treasures of a realm are restored to the rightful owners. The girls enter into new unions but remain inseparable. Their mother, as cultivator of their home and heritage, stays with them and their tradition flourishes. Knowing what we know about the Grimm's and their devotion to tradition, this seems very possible. Unlike Jack Zipes, Bruno Bettelheim looks at the story in psychosexual terms. The two male figures in the story, the bear and the dwarf, represent the opposite side of human nature, the good and the evil. But Bettelheim says the tale implies, quote, both friendly and disgusting aspects to our natures. And when we rid ourselves of the latter, all can be happiness. At the story's end, the essential unity of the protagonist is restated by Snow White's marrying the prince, and Rose Red, his brother, 
Metalheim goes on to say that the story's protagonists have been split into two, and that the girls and the men in the tale complement one another. The females in the story must first deal with overcoming evil to get to good. For example, they must first take care of the dwarf so that they can reap their reward of a prince or a princess. Metalheim suggests that stories like this one are about a girl needing to change her attitude about sex from, quote, rejecting to embracing it. He earlier stated that, quote, it is the heroine's affection and devotion that transform the beast into its human form. Maria Tater takes a different approach. She believes it is useful to understand how the story speaks to children on a moral ground. For example, readers of Snow White and Rose Red will see two girls with exemplary behavior. They are kind to their mother, keep a clean house, have servants' hearts, and will help people no matter what. The story also shows a healthy family dynamic. In the end, the girls live together with their mother and essentially live happily ever after. Though the girls were playful with the bear, their everyday lives seemed to be fairly pure, lacking much mischief. And unlike the Little Red Riding Hood story that we discussed in episodes 5 and 6, these girls are on the straight and narrow. They're not going against the grain or breaking any rules. In fact, their mother encourages their relationship with the bear. Going back to Bruno Bettelheim's suggestion of a psychosexual relationship between the heroine and a beast, it's essential to understand what folklorists call the animal groom. The most popular of these tales is The Beauty and the Beast. It is in falling in love that a curse is broken and the beast becomes the prince or the groom. This sometimes occurs vice versa, but much like the Beauty and the Beast, Snow White's involvement with the bear transforms him into something better. Bettelheim explains, quote, Much more popular and numerous are tales which, without any reference to repression, which causes a negative attitude to sex, simply teach that for love, a radical change in previously held attitudes about sex is absolutely necessary. What must happen is expressed, as always in fairy tales, through a most impressive image. A beast is turned into a magnificent person. There are typical traits in animal groom stories. First, we initially don't know why the groom has been changed into an animal. Second, some type of magical character has done this to the groom. And third, it is a parent who causes the connection between the heroine and the beast. In our story here, the beast does not behave as much like an animal as he does a gentleman, which is another reason why Snow White and Rose Red is such a unique tale. I'll tell you my thoughts about the story after this quick promotion of another fabulous podcast. Hey there, I'm Jennifer, and I host Haunted Happenstance, a creepy and quirky little audio drama set in a historic residence in Boston, Massachusetts. You see, I've always loved a good ghost story, and as it turns out, ghosts have always loved me too. Convenient? Maybe. Coincidence? Perhaps. But I think it's a bit more than that. Let's see if you agree. 
So sit back and get ready to join me and my neighbors for some truly spooky tales that can only be explained as haunted happenstance. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Though the story isn't popular in modern retellings, it is much more relevant than we give it credit for. It's often overshadowed by the other Snow White tale. The moral of the story being that kindness and goodness reap amazing rewards is still a truth we all want to believe, and its independent female characters aren't damsels in distress. Instead, they play active roles in their futures and in their relationships. In fact, William added an element to this story that seems to negate the warnings in most other fairy tales. The girls are encouraged to roam the woods alone. We've discussed the perils of being a girl alone in the woods before, so something about this seems a bit off. The story says that an angel protects them in the forest because they are good children, so they have no need to fear any evil. That doesn't mean they won't encounter it, though, as the dwarf is the symbol of evil in the tale. To a modern reader, the Grimm's, in arguably their only original tale, seem to be advocates for young women exploring the unknown world around them as long as they remember the good they've been taught. Also, the fact that the girls have one another and are always together speak to that we as people are stronger in relationship with others rather than tackling the world alone. Despite there being promises of marriage and of happily ever afters at the end, I have a feeling that these ladies weren't done having adventures in the dark, dark wood. I wonder what other evils they met in life and how their sisterly bond overtook them. Perhaps they too at some point, as we all have on occasion, played the villain. Huh. Now there's a story. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll receive access to bonus episodes and additional content. For example, this week I'll be posting a recording of the full Grimm story, Snow White and Rose Red. Your kindness and generosity help cover all the costs involved with producing both the podcast and my books. Be sure to check out the show notes for additional reading on the topic. By the way, what's your favorite fairy tale? Tell me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Fable Collective. Until next time. Thank you for listening.